Amen. All right. So we are on, officially it's part two, but it's the first uh, message of our All In series. And if you, if you missed last week, I'll encourage you to go back and listen to it because we're kind of wanting to get into a season these next two months where, where we're going all together. And, and so uh, today I'm going to bring a message on All In for Prayer. And that's how we wanted to start our series, All In for Prayer, because it's so central to who we are as a spiritual family and as a, uh, as a people before God. And so I was taking some time this week and sort of meditating on what does it look like when a spiritual family all moves together and how are we motivated to move. And, and I was thinking about the phrase, all in. And, uh, you know, I realized that that's a phrase, it can have a different feeling depending on where you are in life, you know. I think the 20-year-old me would have heard all in and been like, that's right, I'm all in, I'm going to give everything, you know, and just thought, how can I amp myself up to go harder, you know, whatever, stronger for the Lord. And the 50-year-old me goes, all in again, like, dude. I've been going all in a long time. Says, so like, I don't know if there's any more all to put in, you know. And um, and so I was asking the Lord to speak to my heart to even encourage me a little bit because sometimes we can get weary. And um, I'm coming off a time of rest and don't want to be touching like, oh gosh, I'm weary now. But I'm like, Lord, what is all in? And it's just as simple as this: all in is another way to say wholehearted. Wholehearted. Say wholehearted. Wholehearted. It's just something we talk about all the time. And it's wholehearted in love toward God and wholehearted in love toward one another, which is really the first and second commandment. And wholehearted is really what we want to be as a spiritual family. And, and, and we want to live this way together, wholehearted. If I asked, I said, okay, how many of you want to be half-hearted people? Nobody's signing up for that. On the inside, in your makeup, God wove you together. He made you in such a way that you want to live wholehearted. And we feel it when we're not, and there's, a, there's that tension on the inside when we feel like, oh, I, I want to I wanna, you know, give more of myself, give more of my heart. But the only way that we can be wholehearted, the only way we can live wholehearted in love with God and with one another is by knowing the love of God. And I, I just so appreciated what Rolando shared last week because he talked about how we have to receive revelation and encounter in the love of God before we can offer ourselves in any kind of legitimate way. And I want to just sort of restitch some of that as I'm getting into this point on prayer, because if we don't understand love, if we don't understand relationship, if, it's, if it becomes trite for us, then prayer, it just seems like a religious duty. And I, I don't know about you, but I lived a long time uh, fairly condemned because I wasn't good at quiet times as a Christian. I'm just going to confess that here Sunday morning right now. I didn't hit my quiet times as well as I, I should have, could have, was told I had to. 
And, and I, you know, I grew up in the church, and they said, you got to hit a quiet time every day. And, and you gotta, you got to read five chapters and pray 30 minutes. And I remember hearing that as a young, anybody heard this? Oh, yeah. I grew up like that. I was like, all right, five chapters, 30 minutes, I got this. Day one, I'm like, yeah. Day three, I'm like, oh, no, I just read four chapters, and I didn't even pay attention to anything that was on the page because I was thinking about what I was going to do the rest of the day. And all of a sudden, I'm like in this challenge of I'm not engaging the way I should. And I'm trying to work something up on the inside that I realize, man, it was just a lot of effort. And it was because I lacked something. I lacked understanding of how God felt about me. And... uh I, I wrestled through years, I mean, maybe like a decade of, like, I'm going to just do this, it's a spiritual discipline, and I'm going to get myself to pray, and I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm just going to do it, and then the Lord would meet me in that, and I would just amp myself up to do it again, and then I would repent when I missed my quiet time, and, and I was in ministry like that, like, okay, and then there'd be moments I'd just, I'd really touch something in God, and I'd go, well, I just been two hours with the Lord, three, you know, two and a half hours. Wow, something's happening. And then the next day, I'm like, five chapters in 30 minutes, you know. And, and I realized there's something better than trying to get myself to be disciplined enough to read five chapters and pray for 30 minutes. And some of you are really, really disciplined, one, two, three, four, five type of people. I'm not really like that. I got to feel it. Anybody got to feel it? Oh, we got a lot of feelers in the room. Y'all are all quiet, but you know those quiet times put you into condemnation sometimes. Well, I remember realizing I had this thing where I'm looking at what Jesus taught about how to engage in prayer and, and the word. And all of a sudden I realized he never taught quiet times. He taught something else completely. He taught continuous relationship. He called it abiding, where you're connected with God. And all of a sudden, I started realizing there's something more than just trying to rev myself up and amp myself up to do the Christian disciplines, to learn what it looks like to be a Christian, and then to try to be a Christian. There's something different than that, and it's knowing the person of Jesus Christ. It's coming in contact with his affections. And recognizing that I am cherished and desired and delighted in by him. And from that place of feeling that the Lord delights in me, then there's a response that comes out of my own heart. And so everything you're going to hear in All In, it, it presupposes this idea that we are stopping, slowing down, and asking the Lord, how do you feel about me? What do you think about me? And we're not trying to just rev ourselves up to, to do the Christian disciplines without a legitimate, abiding, current, and real revelation of God's affections and desires. And so I just, I really want to encourage you. You may have heard intimacy message for 20 years or you may be new and you're like, intimacy with God is a completely new thought for me. 
Either way, it's something that we have to approach freshly because that's what Jesus called us to do. He said, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. And that means you stay sustained and refreshed in the knowledge of God's love. And so a couple thoughts on this. The human heart, your own heart, you, you were made to primarily be motivated by the love of God. That's the singular most powerful motivator that is already wired into your frame is that God loves you, and from that place of knowing his delight, his love, that now your heart begins to move. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it says this, the love of Christ compels us. It compels us. Another version says, it constrains us. So it compels us in that it motivates us. It constrains us to keep us from, you know, stepping outside of, of his will and his desires for us. It compels us. It constrains us. And, and another version says, it controls us. And that's really what we want, isn't it? To have the love of God so richly overwhelming us that our thoughts and our actions are all constrained, compelled, and controlled by God's love. It's what your heart was made for. And so I would just say it this way to you. If your heart isn't being moved by the love of God, you need another dip in the pool. You need another dosing of the revelation of his love for you. And, and it's, it's like this. When you know love, Love happens. One of the things, even as a young man, I, I remember I would go, okay, Christians are supposed to walk in love. Okay, love is patient, love is kind, you know, all these things. Love never talks about itself. Never, not, love never boasts. Love forgives a wrong suffered. I'm, you know, the First Corinthians 13. And so I'm trying to, like, do all the love things. And I'm trying to do love without knowing that I am loved. You ever been there? You try to do the Christian activity to sort of prove that you are a Christian. And I'm just telling you, it was, it was never in God's heart that we would be Christian doings. We were, were to be human beings, being loved first. And, and, and not being this, in this place of where I've got to sort of prove to, to God and to myself that I really am a, a lover of God. See, I'll work. And so what happens is we see what love is. We see what love looks like to others. We hear the, the call to, to love one another. And all of a sudden, we try to do love without a heart that's alive in it ourselves. And you end up, in the name of love, back in a performance mentality which is the worst. A performance mentality makes you think that if you're doing well, God really loves you. But when you're not doing well, God loves you less. Hear me. If somehow, if somehow inside you feel like God's opinion of you is based on your performance, 
I'm telling you, that's a performance mentality, and it's not why Jesus died on the cross for you. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't, he didn't pour himself out in love because you were going to do a lot of good works. He poured himself out in love because he loved you even when you were a train wreck. Even right now in your train wreck. He loves you, he loves you on your worst day exactly the same as he loves you on your best day. We have these false ways that we measure how we're doing. And I'm telling you, everything, everything in your life is based on this fact. God loves you and that's it. The whole of this life is knowing the love of God and letting it change the way you think about yourself and others. It's everything. And so what happens is this, when we actually come in contact with the revelation of the love of the Father, when we actually sense his affirmation, when we actually hear him speak through the word and, and by the Holy Spirit to our heart, and he says, I love you, you're mine, I'm here I care. I'm not going anywhere. When that begins to happen, and you hear him just through the word or in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, he says, you're my child. I, I, I'm, I'm just, that verse in 1 John, where John, the beloved apostle who knows the love of Jesus more than anybody, and all of a sudden there he just goes, Behold, what manner of love is this that we would be called the children of God? What? What? We sang it this morning. I am a child of God. I've been adopted into his family. But what happens is these phrases get trite. And we can literally sing something that is, I mean, so powerful, so incredibly explosive, and it's meant to move us so deeply. We can, we can get so used to it that it just becomes trite and becomes a religious saying that doesn't move our heart. And here's the thing. When an eternal truth becomes something that you just go, yeah, I know that one, I guarantee you, you don't know it. I guarantee you. I am a child of God. I am his son. I mean, I am his daughter. I mean, if, when, can you say that out of your mouth and there's no tension on the inside? It's not, there's no dissonance internally. I remember for years I was, I was so steeped in this religious spirit of performance that I would preach the love of God and I would preach these things from the book of Song of Solomon or the Father Heart of God and talk about God's delight in me. And I would say all these things. I'd be preaching them. I'd be preaching them. People would be weeping in front of me. And on the inside of me, there was dissonance. I'd say things like, he's my favorite one. I'm his favorite one from Song of Solomon. I'd say, I'm his favorite one. And inside, there was this one, 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 one. Like, you know that's not true. That's what was going on on the inside of me because I was so conditioned to perform and to work and to try and to do better and do more. And God was going, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to be something. Beloved. That's why he calls us beloved all the time. And I remember when the Lord, he, he encountered me this one night, and, 
I was so frustrated with ministry, and I was just at the end of myself, and, and I just was like, God, what is the point of any of this? And he said to me, he said, why did I make you? Why did I create you? And I remember in that dark that night as I was trying to process this with God, I said, you made me to do my purpose. You know, and I, and I, I gave him these answers that, that sounded like the right thing. And the Lord, he was defeating every answer. You made me to worship you. You made me to do my purpose. And he'd say things back to me like, without me, you have no purpose. <laughs> do, you th- do you think I-, I created an entire race of people to just because just I needed like my ego stroked, you know? He's saying these things, defeating all my answers. And then he said to me, he said, son, what am I? And I said, your love. You, God is love. I know that. And he said, that's right. Love must love. I didn't make you to do anything for me, son. I made you to be loved by me. And when that hit my heart, that got me on a journey of transformation that has continued to this very second And I'm not here to add something. I'm not here to prove to God that I'm worth being loved. I'm not here to to try to make my place in this world. I'm here to be loved. And because my frame is made for love, then all of a sudden, when when I actually absorb love, I will start loving back. We can't do the first and second commandment until we recognize that God loves us first. He sets up the first and second commandment, and the whole thing is a bit of a trick. He goes, here's the first and second commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I go, okay, we're going to do that. We're going to love them. Wait, I don't love them at all. (laughs) And I'm not sure I love you. (laughs) This is terrible. You you do it real hard for a week, and you come to the end of yourself, and you're all stuck, and you're like, ooh. But God said i got to love them. What if I just don't look at them? Then I won't be mad at them. And then, well, I'll pray for them. God, fix that person, you know. And we're trying to do love without actually being loved. And, and that just doesn't work, does it? And I think that's one of the reasons why Christians seem grumpy. Can I be honest? <laughs> We're a little grumpy acting because we have no concept of the one that really loves us. Because if we really got that, then we'd really understand, oh, he really loves them too. And then knowing the love of God is everything. And so when we're trying to do love without being loved, we've got to slow it down. We've got to slow down all of our works, all of our tryings, all of our doings. And get back to our being and knowing his affections. I, hear, I can just hear the Father saying over you, do you know how I feel about you? Do you know the way I feel about you? Do you know how I think about you? The fact that Jesus would say, as the Father has loved me, 
I have loved you. Now stay there. Can God the Father love anyone any more than he loves God the Son? It's the highest, most intense, most beautiful measure of love there is. And God the Son turns right around and looks at you in the eye and looks at me in the eye and he says, I love you exactly the same way he loves me. He goes, I want you to get that, that I love you the way the Father loves me. He goes, in fact, I don't want you to graduate. I just want you to stay there. Just stay there. And I think we've made a major mistake where we've thought, oh, I got the love of God down. Now, let me go take over the world. No, no, no. We get the love of God down, and then we get the love of God down deeper. And then we get it down deeper. And then we get it down deeper until it's compelling my actions. It's controlling my thoughts. It's controlling my words. It's constraining me on the left and on the right. Because what I realize is that in his love is better than anywhere else. I don't want anything else. I just want love. And all of a sudden, sin isn't as tempting. And all of a sudden, fighting for me isn't as important. But knowing love. Knowing love is everything. Knowing love, receiving love, and then giving love. And you know those moments that you had when you really felt that that sense of God loving someone through you? You, you loved them, you said a word to them, you waited on them, you were patient with them, you, you gave them something. You, you, you know, you loved, God was loving through you. You said the thing that you had no idea that, man, I wasn't even thinking about that 10 seconds ago, but man, it just came out and it hit something and man, that was God through me. And all of a sudden you realize he wants to get his love to me and he wants to get it through me. And this is it. I get to go around being loved and loving others. Well, praise God. This is what we're made for, guys. This is what we're made for. There is no high bar that you've got to jump over to prove that you're lovable. I worked so hard for so many years trying to prove to God that I was worth him loving me. And he just let me, he goes, you know what, buddy, I'll tell you what, put the pedal to the metal. Prove it as much as you can. I'm like, all right, I will. You know? And just tried and did everything, worked so hard. He goes, that's right, floor it. I go, okay, yeah. Pow, hit the wall. He goes, how's it working for you? I go, I'm like dead in a puddle. He goes, perfect. I want you to know in your dead puddle, I love you. Some of you... You're flooring it to prove that you're lovable and you're worth loving. You're trying everything or you've tried everything. You've hit the wall and all he's wanting to do is reach down and tell you he loves you. Because none of our doings are going to earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn his love. It's from this revelation, friends. It's from this understanding that we then turn our attention to communication with him. It's the exact same idea. And what I want to do is 
I want to talk now about prayer because prayer is simply the language of intimacy. It's simply the, the communication of love. Does that make sense? And, you know, I think for many, many eons, the church has known prayer is super important. We got to pray. We got to pray just to make it today, as MC Hammer said back in the day. <laughs> I don't know. That just came out of the archives right there. In the, <laughs> way in the back. But um, <laughs> don't start laughing now. We won't be able to get out of this. Okay. But we've tried every angle we can to try to get the church to pray, to try to be more prayer focused, 40 days of this and 80 days of that and prayer lists and prayer gatherings and prayer meetings and prayer events and early morning prayer, afternoon prayer, women's prayer, men's prayer, prayer and a donut, a prayer. I mean, just every kind of prayer. <laughs> but if we could just get it, like, prayer is the language of intimacy. It's the language of love. Prayer is really, really, it gets really, really simple. Uh, I love my wife. I love her. I, we had a beautiful time in our sabbatical where we went literally nine months straight and we were only apart one day in nine months. She got a little tired of me. I'm a little clingy. She's like a little introverted. She's like, give me some room, bro. I'm like, I love this. But it wasn't hard for our communication life to go up because we love each other. And because we love each other, we were together. And because we were together, we talked. That's prayer. I love to be loved by God, and I love to love God back. And prayer for for me is not this hard work of I better say the right thing, I better have the right verses to pray, I better like, I got to get in there and do the thing, and if I do it just right, then God will answer with power. No, prayer is I get to spend time with the one that loves me the most. That's prayer, gang. The, the, the outcome of the gospel, the reason why Jesus Christ came, died, bore our sins, and was raised again. Uh, it wasn't to get you to pray some sort of recipe of prayer just right so God can do stuff. He did all of that for one simple thing. He wanted to be close to you. God wants to be close to you. We sang about it this morning. God wants to be friends he wants to be close with you. Like, this is, can we just get it really simple? Like, even that phrase, some of you, if you just ask the Lord that, you, for you to even hear yourself out of your own mouth, say, God, do you want to be close to me? You want to be close to me. It's like almost hard to digest. He's not trying to get you to do something. He just wants you. He wants to be close to you. And then when it comes to things we get to do with God, 
It's good works prepared beforehand. Ephesians 2 says good works prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And, and what it really is is we're close to him, and, and then we're, we're sharing our heart. He's sharing his heart with us. And then we say, so what are you thinking, Lord? What's on your mind? And he goes, well, this is what I'd like to do. You want to come with me? And then we get in on his story. So often we think, I'm supposed to get a plan, I'm supposed to do something for the kingdom, and then I'm going to talk God into doing my thing. No. We get close to him, he shares his heart with us, and then he invites us into what he's doing. This is, this is like the foundational idea of prayer. Closeness and conversation. And if we can just simplify it, and I'm talking to the intercessory missionaries in the room, I'm talking to the old time intercessors that have been doing this longer than I've been alive, and I'm talking to the brand new person, can we just simplify this thing? God is not interested in our blood, sweat, and tears if he doesn't have our heart. He just wants closeness. He wants friendship. And the way that we express that is through talking. He talks to us, we talk to him. I said prayer in the most simple sense is conversation with God. When you're intimate with someone, you talk to them. Prayer is simply conversation born out of closeness. And closeness is what God desires. Now this was hard for me to get, but prayer... It can be spoken, or it can be sung, or it can be silent, or it can be nothing, just being. You know, like when you're really comfortable with someone, maybe your spouse or your child or your parent, and you're maybe on a long trip together, maybe best friend, do you talk the entire time on that trip? Eight hours 12 hours, you're going to go up to Pittsburgh or something, and hey, man, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, okay, good, but now what do you want to talk about? We got, well, we got 11 hours, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds left. What else are we going to talk about? No. The more comfortable with you, the person you are, most often you'll find yourself sitting silently with them in just close comfort. It's so interesting how our human interactions mirror everything that God wants from us in closeness. Prayer can be spoken or sung. This took me a long time to understand. I remember as a young minister, somebody say, so what's worship? I go, oh, it's when we sing. Well, what's prayer? It's when we speak. Spoken, prayer, sung, worship. Duh. Praise is when it gets hyped. You know... Hello, it's as easy as that. No, we can sing prayer. We can say prayer. We can shout prayer. When we're, when we're singing, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. It has a praise element because we're declaring the greatness of his works. But we're just praying with a song. Here's my point to make this, to why I'm making this point. 
prayer, worship, praise, it's all so closely interrelated. They're all about this far apart. Sometimes we sing it, sometimes we say it, sometimes we're quiet in it. I wrote this in the notes, worship is expressing our affections to God. Prayer is asking God to express himself to us. It's just like one inch apart, a half inch. We're expressing to him in worship and adoration. And in prayer, we're saying, come express yourself to us. It's just, they're so interlinked. I've said this for a long time, but this is a phrase we all need to kind of catch. Prayer is not mostly about us trying to get God to do something. Prayer is mostly about God trying to get us. Prayer's not about us trying to like twist his arm into the thing we think should happen. Prayer's about God trying to get us close to him in communion, communion, communication. Think about this passage, 1 John 5. I called 1 John 5, 14 and 15, I called this part portion of scripture prayer for dummies. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. That is so silly and elementary. It's, it's funny to me. Because God literally goes, ask me to do what I want to do. And I'll do it. Well, I think, why do you need me in that? You're God. You got stuff you want to do. Do what you want to do, and I'll just watch. I'll cheer you on. He goes, that's not how I want to do things. I've set everything up that my kingdom only operates in partnership with people. And the partnership that I'm looking for is communion and closeness. Nothing moves forward of kingdom effect on the earth unless it's first established in prayer. Do you see how this goes? And what God did is he brilliantly tricked us in being close to him. Because even the most utilitarian person around here, the most militant, I've got to get something done for God. To get something done for God, you've got to talk to him. He set the whole thing up, the mechanism of prayer to move the kingdom forth. He set that up because he wants to talk. And he refuses to do anything of kingdom effect on the earth without it being firstly established in prayer. It's so simple but so profound. God wants to get us more than he's trying for us to ask him to get something done. Heaven just give a little anointed exclamation point. All right. So it's from intimacy that we talk to God. I'm talking about being all in for prayer, so let me bring it down to us. We have this really, really unusual beautiful gift, and it's that our church is a house of prayer, and our house of prayer is a church. God has put us in a blender from all over the place, put the whole thing together, that who we are as a people, it orients 
from a ceaseless worship and prayer meeting that, that has continued for, what are we in, 17 years now, somebody? It doesn't stop. So we have this gift of the church being a house of prayer. Now, most of you that have been around in the church any amount of time, you know Matthew 21, 13. You know this verse, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know that verse. And growing up in church, you know, what they would do is they'd pick out a room in the facility and then they'd put house of prayer over it and then next to it put Matthew 21, 13. So you got a room over there because we're going to be a house of prayer. And uh, I won't go into it today, but that's clearly not what Jesus was talking about, having a special room for prayer. But he was talking about the people of God actually being a house of prayer. That we all together are built together as a dwelling place for God in the spirit. And so what we have been given is this unusual gift that at the center of our community is a ceaseless worship and prayer meeting that some days there's two or three people in the room, some days there's two or three hundred people in the room. It's a shocking thing to see that he's given us this little kingdom outpost that has heaven's activity happening here all day and all night. And if you're new, you know, we never take a break. What? Yeah, no, we never take a break. Not 2 a.m., not 2 p.m., not Christmas, not Easter, not Thanksgiving, not New Year's. It's funny to me. I've seen it a few times where the person on the platform really has to go to the bathroom. And then there's, there's, they'll wave at somebody in the room and be like, come up here. And you just, we just get somebody into service and now they're like, you know, like pounding away Maybe. I love you, Jesus. <laughs> well, they have to go do their business. We don't stop. I'll tell you a funny story. We used to have a different facility on Collins Hill Road. We got over 100 complaints from our neighbors. We were that guy. Because in the middle of the night, they could hear, but we had a really sensitive, sensitive, sensitive neighbor, and they did like 99 out of the 100 complaints. Hey, yeah, we were the record holder for getting the police called on us, probably. <laughs> okay, okay, we're the record holder in Gonad for getting the police called. I would, I'd go over to their house, I'd bring them gift baskets, I was apologizing. But we knew that we weren't supposed to stop, and so we would turn it all the way down at night, and just, and occasionally you get a new guy in the back, and he's a sound person, he's like, yeah, we're going to rock out in the middle of the night. And, and I, and I get a phone call, it's 2 a.m., and it's our neighbor, and she's so mad, and it's just our fault, and I just so apology. And, but uh, I remember one time, they called the police on us, they didn't bother calling us, and the police came in the room, and we had a guy up there, and he's just worshiping the Lord. And the police officer comes in the room, and he's yelling at him across the room, you need to stop. He's like, Lord, I lift your name on high. I love to sing your praises. Guy gets up on the platform. The police officer, Gwinnett County PD, he's looking at him. He says, stop playing right now. And our worship leader goes, I know my rights. Lord, I lift your name on high. And the police officer asked the leader that was on duty at the time, our leader, he goes, why won't he stop? Because the police officer can't arrest him for worshiping the Lord in a private place. You're unarrestable in America still for that. Come on. And so, 
the leader looks back at the police officer and he goes, sir, he really can't stop. He goes, yes, he can. He goes, we don't stop. We never stop. And so the guy on the platform, his wife goes and gets a guitar, goes running into the other room. Lord, I lift your name on high. He can stop now. We're worshiping in here. We've taken it that seriously. Power went out two weeks ago, three weeks ago. It was my, like one of my first weeks back. And the team didn't even, they're like, whatever, power's out. We're just going to keep going. They just went acoustic. They got the gym bays out. They all moved to the front of the stage. There's about 100 people in the room. And we just had a prayer meeting for 45 minutes without any power. We believe Jesus wants his house to be a house of prayer. And he's given us the grace to go night and day, and so we're just going to stay with that. You know, we've got 50 staff that are dedicated as their first work of service is to serve the Lord like the Levites of old in night and day worship and prayer. They do it as missionaries, raise their own support. That, that's how we make this thing live. God's given us this gift, but it's not just for the staff, and it's not just for that really intercessory, worshipy person. It's not for the flag waver only, glory to God. We love flag wavers. But it's for all of us. It's for all of us. And, and, and that's where I want to bring this thing to, that we believe God's intention for the people of God was to always be gathered around a worship and prayer meeting first. If you look at Acts 2, that's how he started the church. And you can look through the scripture, and I put them in the notes. There's about 10 passages in the New Testament where it looks like the church is to be gathered around this prevailing atmosphere of worship and prayer. Well, God's given us that gift in this hour, and it's not just for those, you know, special worship people. It's not just for the singers and musicians. It's for all of us. Because you and I have this unique distinction. Jesus calls us a kingdom of priests. Which means that we minister to the heart of God. Priests. We've been given access to him, to love him, to adore him. That's what a priest does. A priest ministers to God on behalf of man and to man on behalf of God. He stands in the gap. A priest is an intercessor. The whole church is called into this ministry of intercession and priesthood because that's who we are, a kingdom of priests. And so with all in, when I'm saying all in for prayer, I'm saying all in for intimacy with Jesus all in for the love of God and knowing his love, all in for letting that empower and, and, and motivate my heart, and all in for communion and communication, and all in, all of us doing it together. That's why we're talking all in. And, and, and so this is it. When you come to the prayer room, I guarantee you our schedule works for you. Because it's, 24-7. It's us and Waffle House. That's it, man. That's what's going on. When we're open, that's it. We're always open. You, you can make it work. I, and I know some of you got four kids and 60 hours of work a week and five hours of commute. Or, and it's just difficult. But you got those little edges. And maybe it's once a month even. And it's hard to figure it all out. But you can take that little slice of time and say, you know what? I want to be all in. 
I want to join with my spiritual family and seeing to it that the fire on the altar never goes out. I want, to, I want to go for this together. And so it doesn't matter if you're a singer or a musician. We're all priests and we can do this. And so um, I'll just kind of end here. When you come to the prayer room, it's nine, 90% of the time it's right here. It's in this, in this room. A couple times when there's services, we, we move it to room 23 in the other part of the facility. But 90% of the time it's right here. But when you come, there's no big high bar of expectation. There'll be somebody or a worship team up here leading a worship and prayer set. You, you just come bring yourself and be present before God. You can worship. You can pray. You can pray in tongues. You, you can read the Bible. Just read the word. You, you, can, you can study it. You can get your concordances out. I saw a guy the other day. It looked like he brought his entire library he had it spread out all over two tables. He was like going at it. He was like in a theological discourse up in here. He was going for it. You can study. You can sit quietly. You can meditate on the word. You can just abide. You can kneel. You can stand. You can jump. Sometimes there's a runner or two. But we can, we can come and be present before him and offer our hearts to him. And it's not just for the few or the special or the super spiritual or the singers or the musicians. It's for us that we'd be a community that firstly lives from the feet of Jesus. And that our spiritual formation would be centered in worship and prayer. And then from there, family, love of the brethren, love of one another, outreach, sharing the gospel with the lost, discipleship, missions, all those things, cross-cultural uh, reconciliation, all those things, they come out of that place. But it's, it's, it's that we want to do this together, Gad.